0: As if I literally didn't just do this about, this about like, 25 right. minutes ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just recorded a whole episode for you before you hopped on. Hey, all <laughs> right. Steve has hey. to compose himself.
0: Well, hey, this hey go is ahead, ahead Steve. This is a big deal. I I haven't done a uh, an, an interview in about like, I don't know, a month and a half. So, okay. This is the first.
1: Take your time. Take your no time. You need.
0: Yeah, no pressure. I'm just I'm, I'm just a normal person. Okay.
1: And I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen your pre-shot routine, Steve. So you shouldn't really need much uh, preparation anyways.
0: You know, I'm going to clip this. Get in the hole! Welcome everybody to a special episode of the Get in the Hole podcast. Sponsored by Tomahawk Shade, the best eyewear in the industry for both on and off the golf course. Keep your eyes protected while looking fresh only at Tomahawk Shades. Be sure to use code USP for 25% off your next order at TomahawkShades.com. Again, USP, 25% off. Don't miss it. Get the whole podcast right here, folks. Steven McAvoy, John Mavalia here as always. Joining the desk, Ben, I don't know if you know this. You are the first guest in show history. So a pretty big deal. I want to welcome in former Presbyterian Blue Hose and Xavier, Xavier Musketeer, Ben Piero, former Michael Hebron uh, champion and a four-time Hurricane Tournament champ. So a lot of pedigree here. I, I, I'm wondering where the uh, trophy case is.
2: Uh, it's actually in my room and I have some, I have the Hebron Trophy, another crystal trophy from professional tournament on my mantle over there. But, uh, oh, very yeah. nice. Right on, right on. So I moved all my uh, brothers and sisters uh, pictures out of the way. So.
0: <laughs> so, Ben, you and John go way back. Uh, so for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with Ben, first of all, uh, four, four year player in college, possibly uh, going pro. We're going to talk about that later. We'll see what the future holds there. But uh Ben was mentioning this before the show, both of you guys played uh 12 to 14 year old uh, tournaments together. That- That's right.
1: The the 12 to 14 year old Metropolitan PGA boys division. Um, I was making a joke, he was always coming top five in the leaderboard. I was always in the bottom five, you know. I had my moments though, you know. I had a couple pars and stuff like that. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, no, we go way back. Um Ben actually just reminded me before the show, like we we met in I think they probably both of our first rounds, first junior rounds at a course called Gullhaven on Long Island. Um, and that's where we met our fathers, like probably exchanged numbers or something like that. They became good friends. Then we became good friends. And now I see every time, every time I go to uh, my dad's home club, I see this guy out there working hard, practicing on the greens and stuff like that. And uh, seriously, like I, I know we, we talk, I guess, I guess we see each other like once every like six months, something like that. But every time I see you, dude, you're like one of the most genuine people. Like I, I, I seriously, one of the most genuine people that I can interact with on a six month basis. And every time it's like, it's like, I, it's like we hang out. It's every time I see you, it's like, we've been hanging out for like the past like couple of weeks. You know, there's no, there's never any like awkwardness or anything. You're just a really, really a genuine person. And I'm glad we are able to have you on the show for real.
2: Oh, guys, I really, I really appreciate that. And, you know, before we get started, like, I'd just like to say thank you. It's definitely an honor to be a part of this podcast and uh, to be, like, the first interview, you know, interviewee, I guess. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's oh, 100%. 100%. When I yeah, we were super
1: you. pumped up. I was pumped up when you you were like, yeah, I'm down. I was like, let's go. Like, oh, let's Dude, absolutely. Why not? Ah, like,
2: let's do it, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, yeah, I remember uh, when I first met John. i remember like the first tee like jitters i was so nervous it was my first like ever tournament and thank god i met john that day because like we just hit it off like right away and we did i remember we did exchange numbers after the round and our dad's always stayed in touch and stuff and your dad is the reason my dad joined long island national Um, is that
1: is that so my dad never said that my dad never told me that i didn't know that yeah
2: he, your dad was just like, you know, Tom, you should look in Long Island National. It's like, you know, there's a member limit, no outings. My dad hates that golf outings. And so it's like all, he was all for it, dude. That's funny. You. Your dad is a character too. I love that guy. I haven't seen him in a minute. I miss him, man. How's he doing? He's doing good? He's good. His uh, golf game is whack uh, lackluster of- <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome in his 60s. So, you know, he, he yeah, all yeah. It's, it's tough.
1: It's tough for those old guys. You know, bodily
2: ailments and everything. And I got to give him a <laughs> Shots around now, so it's, like, it's yeah. Literally, it's hard. <laughs> That's funny, man.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can't be as bad as me. I think I shot a ninety on a on a pretty fresh day, I think Sunday. So I don't, It's I'm Timber not-
1: Point. Do you know Timber Point? Then I do know Timber Point. I love Timber Point. Oh, yeah. Think- yeah, it's nice course on the water. It's not it's not too shabby. Like you got to miss in the right spots here and there, so stuff like and that. I but you know,
0: I mentioned it's left <laughs> into the ocean on about the entirety of the <laughs> oh, back nine.
2: Oh, I've done that so many times. Are you kidding? I'd be lying. I said I haven't teed up a couple of balls there. I,
1: I actually have a story. This motherfucker, Steven, we were playing on Sunday. He tried to steal one of my balls. He tried to steal it. He tried to pawn my ball up as his ball. We and he was there. successful
0: for it, too. We were playing at closest to the pin. Uh, we both took a drop from about 150 out. And he hit one off the left fringe that kind of bounced off. And I, and I honestly didn't know what ball he was using. I saw it, picked it up. And he, he asked me, look. You know, well, no, like, like I, I, I don't know whose ball it was, and it, it, honestly, I probably should have thought properly and said, "Oh, yeah, this is probably yours." But <laughs>
1: it was it. like a no-name ball, like it wasn't a brand. Because, like, I was afraid I was going to lose in the water, so I was like, "All right, if I'm doing a close-up pin with Steve, and I might hit in the water, let me just like throw a shit ball on the ground and yank it." You yeah.
0: Know? yeah. So anyway, Jeez. so so Ben, let's start th- this uh, this conversation back uh, around that time at Goldhaven, meeting up with John. When you first started to really get into uh, the game of golf, when was that like aha moment for you?
2: Uh, you know, it was interesting for me. Uh, you know, golf was the cool sport growing up. You know, you're kind of considered like an outcast or a nerd. Honestly, that's how it is. Um, and yeah, and so like I played all different kinds of sports, and but I was always around golf because of my dad. And so he had me. In, he had he had me in a cart since I could literally walk since I was like two. And. I just never really took it seriously and then one day I just looked at him I said I was 10 I was like let's go to the course and he looked at me like I was like crazy he was like wait really I was like yeah let's go and then we went that day we went the next day went the next day and I was just hooked and then for me like over time I'm super competitive and but I hate relying on other people so I didn't like playing team sports because I had to rely on these other people to play and I picked golf mainly because it's all on me. If I win, it's great; I get all the glory. If I lose, it's my fault, and I'm good with that because I can handle it. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't think I don't think I've ever heard an athlete
1: talk about an individual sport like that. And it's probably that might be something that might be, they might be afraid to say, but it might be something that's in the back of their minds. Is that probably absolutely.
2: true? Yeah, absolutely. Well, part of my my motivation when I practice and play and like Pete is like, I'm playing for myself and I'm, I've am i always found and Tiger's kind of Tiger Woods has kind of alluded to this. Um, when his dad had first passed away, I remember him saying how he was playing for his dad and not himself and he wasn't mm-hmm. winning. And he finally started playing for himself again because that's how his dad told him to play. And it was kind of just like an aha moment for me. I'm just like, that makes like a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, uh, I'm also, I'm also an introvert, so I'm okay with like not interacting with people.
3: <laughs> so.
1: That's right. You did, you did mention that you don't, you don't, you don't have a caddy that, that goes out with you. You carry your own bag. Is that correct?
2: Unless I have to have a caddy, I will, uh, I will carry my own bag.
1: Yep. That's interesting. And you prefer, you prefer it that way, right? Even if it's like a couple extra, like 20 pounds that you got to lug around, like that's fine with you.
2: Dude. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, for me as an introvert, I tend to lose energy when I'm interacting a lot with people and yeah. like, I have a problem interacting with people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying yeah. is it's, 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 it's a grind it, playing 18 holes of golf, especially at like a division one or high amateur or professional level. It's very, very difficult. It's very tiring, which a lot of people don't understand. And mm-hmm. so you have to look at ways to like save energy. And for me, it's just like, I can just like be out there by myself and I don't have to like, you know, entertain anybody. Yeah. But I kind of do my own thing.
1: hundred percent. And
2: I guess that's why it's like very, very important to pick a
1: caddy that when, if, when you go turn pro and when you eventually pick a caddy to pick a caddy that, you know, understands that about you. That's, that's a very interesting point of view. Um, Steve, I'll hand it off to you because I know I know you're sitting there, and it really looks like you have a question that you've been waiting to ask Ben, as I've been taking up the time for the past three minutes. So I'll let I'll let you have the stage. I'm
0: not, no, I'm like I'm genuinely curious because uh, in my opinion, like playing 18 alone, uh, or usually I I'll usually go out and play like a par three, like nine holes, uh, and you do it alone. It's very relaxing. You can kind of just you kind of hear yourself think almost. Um, is that the but what kind of solace do you get being able to kind of go out there and play by yourself and not have a caddy with you? And you're always kind of focusing on yourself the whole way through. What's the mentality when you're alone like that?
2: Uh, for me, it's, it's more for selfish reasons more than anything. So it's my way to get away from anything that's going on in my life. So as like a division one athlete, we have so many responsibilities you know, you have to go to class. Like you, we miss so much school. If you don't go to class, I've seen it, you you will fail. Like I've seen teammates literally flunk out of college cause they, you know, they didn't go to class. And so for me, it's like, it's a way for me to get away from all that BS that I'm dealing with in my life away from the course. And it just gives me like some like solid, like solidarity basically. Just like, it's just peace for me. I can like, I'm in nature, I'm in the sun. It's good for me. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's mainly like, that's one of the reasons I like to do it so much by myself. It's just super peaceful. And I can, I can even think through problems like that aren't even golf related while I'm on the golf course in between shots, because it's just, it's so easy to think out there. There's nothing going on.
0: So, so golf really is the, uh, the sanctuary, right?
2: For me it is yeah. I mean not not all the time. Sometimes it gets hard. <laughs> of
0: course yeah. Well all right. It's one thing when you're uh, when you're shanking every third shot like me, but well, ho- hopefully you aren't at that point. <laughs> Or you were probably at one point very early on when you were probably there. when he was like five years old, Steve. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had some. I've had some uh,
2: tournament shanks before. They get bad. They get. It's, it's,
0: <laughs> hey, look, look, If John Rahm can shank a hybrid at Augusta, I think you're allowed to, to have a couple of uh, tough shots. So.
2: Oh, I, I've shanked some chip shots before. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh no! Not that you right off the
1: hosel? Oh boy. <laughs>
0: So, oh, man. so Ben, going into college when you were, uh, so, so you started out of Presbyterian and then you transfer over to, uh, to Xavier. What was that, uh, that shift like going from a lower lower grade division one school to the big East, the big time, uh, sort of tournaments. Cause a, a lot of big East schools challenging those, uh, SEC twelve schools like like be Pepperdine's and Georgia's uh, of the world. What's it like being at such a grand scale like that?
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I only went to Presbyterian because it was my only divisional offer. So, and I remember I said to my swing coach, Mike Bender, I said, I I literally said to him on signing day, I signed the paper. And I said saying that I was going to go. And then I said, I'm not staying there for four years. And he looked at me. He's like, and Mike's like an optimist. Like if you ever meet the guy, he's like the most genuine like person ever. I love Mike, but he's like, no, don't say that. And I was like, Mike, I'm not staying there for four years. Like there's no way. And my goal was to leave in two. So I was already like mentally preparing myself that yeah. I was going to be in a different situation. You had you had a path that was set up that was set up for you. Yeah, I had a plan and um, you know, had to deviate a little bit at times, but after 2 years I wound up leaving and going to Xavier where good results are the expectation when you're at a, such a small school like Presbyterian. I'm not trying to knock Presbyterian, but mm you know it's okay if you suck (laughs) like it's a different standard absolutely like if if you suck no one's in danger of getting fired no one's in danger of getting cut we weren't very Mm. good years at Xavier and our coach got fired so Mm. you know the expectation by the athletic department and you know your coaches it's it's a lot it's a lot great it's much greater uh, than some other schools and but just the facilities are so much better um, I mean, you walk into the Cintas Center where we work out, where the basketball games are in our indoor facility, it's just like, it's night and day. It's like we, it's a power five conference facility mm-hmm. at a school, which is awesome. That's kind of, that's really cool. Good.
0: So that, that two years you spent at, at Presbyterian, obviously it's probably a, a mental woe uh, to, to go in and say, I'm only going to stay here for two years and hope to God I get, a, I get an offer somewhere else that can transfer out and go somewhere better. What was that like? Did you ever kind of get, like, get in your own head and have those times where m- maybe you weren't playing the best couple of rounds? You were like, oh, like shit, I might not be able to, to gather this.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's not easy um, because originally I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really gel that well with, you know, what was going on at Presbyterian, just like the culture. I mean, we were like in the deep South. We were in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, and <laughs> I'm from New York. I went to high school in Florida. I'm, you know, I'm not used to like that kind of culture. And I just didn't fit in. And so like, I remember I sprained my ACL and I missed two and a half, I missed like two and a half months my freshman year. Uh, and then, I mean, I had mono. I remember um, my sophomore year and I didn't qualify. And then I, because I was sick and then I continued to play poorly and I just, there yeah of course like there were definitely I was doubting at times whether I'd be able just to just like get out of there because that was the goal to like go somewhere better but I just made sure to like always put like my best foot forward as cliche as that sounds I always made mm-hmm. sure to get to practice early I was staying late off days I was always there practicing um and like members at the facility like you know because we were at a private club they noticed they're just like dude like that's awesome that you're doing this, and I just I wanted to give myself literally every opportunity uh, to honestly get out of there. So uh-huh. and I knew I knew eventually with my, with my work ethic, everything was going to take care of itself. I gotcha.
1: And and on that same kind of theme, but just your chip years like a little bit. So that theme of like betting on yourself, I want you to like take us through because like we kind of skipped over high school. Like tell us about those high school years. Um, down in Florida, because I believe the school that you went for was like a golf specialized thing school or something like that. It was is that correct?
2: Yeah, it was basically you were either a golfer or a tennis player. And uh, mm-hmm. you were, it was a golfer, golf and tennis academy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, man, because you don't, you know, people up here, wherever you grow up, you're like in a bubble. And so I've been very fortunate that I've been able to move around different places. Like I've lived in four different states. So I've seen a lot. I've met a lot of different people you don't realize how good people are at golf or at anything like Mm -hmm. competition that you're up against is so much greater than you think. And so for me, like I wasn't a high, a highly recruited player. I didn't finally get my, my golf game together until like late in my junior year, which Mm -hmm. is really hard. Like that's going to, like when you're that far behind, most kids are like verbally committing when they're like in 10th or 11th grade. Mm I was end of my 11th grade year and i still didn't have a spot anywhere and so i just kind of continued to just bet on myself play the practice and play the best that i could because that's what you do as an athlete you bet on yourself and mm-hmm. it, it worked out in a way it's not easy trust me it's very stressful yeah,
1: absolutely that that's really 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 impressive like beyond beyond belief impressive so like it was it was almost shocking when you got down to florida yeah like it was like kind of like a a shock and how, how did you respond to that shock? Was it at first a little bit of like, um, pity for yourself or was it all like, Hey, I can, I can do this. Like, let me go all in. Like, how did you respond to that?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's really, especially cause I, like I said, I wasn't very good. My swing was like a mechanical mess too. Um, and so, I mean, it was terrible. It was so bad. Um, I couldn't believe like a swing could get like that. And so for me, there wasn't self-pity like obviously I'd be frustrated if I wasn't playing well if I was the practice wasn't going well but I was just like you know honestly I was like I'm just going to outwork everybody like that's just I'm I'm just going to work harder than everybody like the people that are like you know jerking around and not practicing and the people that are like too busy like you know talking smack and stuff like that's energy that they're wasting and so I'm just going to capitalize on that to work harder than they are.
1: Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I think I think you have to have that mindset. You know, like just like put your head down. Like who cares? What like kind of like a swimmer in a race. You know, don't look at what anyone else is doing. You know, hey, maybe they're working hard, maybe they're goofing off. But I know what I'm doing, and this is what I'm in control of. And then you go out there and do it. Is that 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 would pretty much be applicable to 100%. what you hundred
2: percent? Don't worry about what's like. And I would I tell kids this all the time when I go back and train at Mike Bender's Academy, like every winter. To get ready for the season, I always go down there, and I'm one of the older guys there because I'm in college, and he has a high school academy. Basically, even middle schoolers are in it, you know. And they always ask me like, "What do I? Like, what do I need to do to get better?" And I'm like, "Ignore all the BS that's going on around you. I don't care what your friends are doing, but when you're at the golf course, you need to be focusing on golf. Mm-hmm. And if you have free time, and you really want to get good at this." focus on golf and go practice more like that's just how it is like you don't you don't you your your parents can't do it for you you know yeah. like i know so many kids that were actually very good junior players but it was because their parents would literally go to the course and babysit them to make sure that they would practice well mm-hmm. guess what your parents are going to aren't going to be there for you when you get to college
3: mm-hmm.
2: your coach isn't just going to be like oh, i gotta babysit this guy like no your coach is recruiting you because he's like oh like you're going to practice even when I'm not watching. So it's, it literally just comes down to like self-determination. Like how determined are you to like to get to where you want to be?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, the same is pretty well. Um, I, I was originally going to ask the one piece of piece of advice that you uh, usually give to younger, younger golfers, and higher handicaps, And I that that's really the answer, but you were talking about uh, your routine and how you always put in, put in extra work. Take me through that. Uh, pre-round, that routine that you have, I saw a video of uh, Colin Morikawa and how he walks through uh, his usual routine, goes to the putting green, he takes seven shots with the seven iron, eight shots with the pitching wedge, and he kind of uh, flops back and forth. Take me through, before that first tee box, what's the routine that you follow to get in the zone for a round?
2: Okay, yeah, so for me, it actually, it starts before, um, for me, like, I'm very much like a routine-oriented person. I have to have a plan. And so for me, it starts before I even go to, go to the course. I wake up, make sure I have a, a very, like a healthy breakfast. Um, it's the same breakfast. I have three eggs, whole wheat toast with uh, bacon and uh, cream cheese with a tall glass of OJ. Uh, Gets the course and I get there roughly, people think it's crazy, but I get there like two hours before. And so I'll immediately, I'll go to the locker room, wherever it is, and I'll foam roll and stretch. Okay, so I'm already getting my body loosened up before I get on the putting green or on the range, Uh, because as an athlete, that's like your livelihood is your body. The best ability is availability. Right. So you have to be available to play and be healthy. Um, So I'll I'll stretch for roughly 30, 35 minutes, um, bands, foam roll, everything. I'll get to the putting green and I treat it like my mental coach summed it up for me. Like it's kind of like a basketball players warm up. So you start slow and then you build yourself up. Right. So I always start with putting. I go through my technique um, first and then I'll always putt to a tee. So I'll go four feet around the hole to a tee and then I'll go 30 feet uphill and then downhill to a tee. So I'm working on short putts. I'm working on getting speed of greens, basically. From there, I do bump and runs, pitch shots, chip shots, and bunker shots. And so I'm still building myself up. And then I get on the range, I go pitching wedge, and every club that I hit, it's four or five balls with. So it's basically, it doesn't matter. I'm not there to get loose. I'm not, up, I'm not on the range to see results. So I'm just, it doesn't matter how crappy the shots are four balls of the pitching wedge, four balls, of an eight iron, four balls, of six iron, four iron, two iron, three wood driver. And then I go four balls of the 50 degree, four balls of the 55 degree, four balls of my 60 degree. And then the interesting part of my routine, I think is that I'll then play the first three holes on the range. So Whatever club I hit off the first tee, I'll hit that, and I'll, I'll, you know, get like estimate like what I'll have in. I'll hit that second shot. Then I'll play the second hole. Then I'll play the third hole, and then I'll have roughly ten minutes to go because I like to get there as close to my tee time as possible. I don't want to be sitting on the tee waiting. So I'll vent whatever club I'm hitting off the first tee. Let's say it's two iron. I'll hit three two irons exactly the way I'm gonna hit it off the first tee, and then I'll go to the tee four or five minutes before I'm supposed to tee off.
1: Wow. I really, I really enjoyed the detail of that. Cause like, that's not something that you usually you're able to get, you know, from athletes like that was like really, really pure detail. And you go down into it, like the exact shot that you're going to hit for hole one, two, three, you know, that's, that's really, really interesting. And I think how many, how many play? you said, you don't care about the results on the tee. That was another big takeaway that I had. So how many players do you think, do you think it helps you to kind of like, not be results focused and how many players do you think get hung up on being too results focused on the range? Is that something that um, you had to change in, in throughout like the course of your career or something?
2: Yeah. So that, that's, that's a great question. So I used to, I'm very mechanical. So, I mean, I'm sure you've, John, you've seen my drills that I do on the range. Like mm-hmm. I'm always working on my technique. And so mm-hmm. what I would do a lot of times when it wasn't hitting well, I would tinker. And so I would ch- literally change like my, I have one swing thought when I play, Mm -hmm. But I would literally be changing my swing thought on the range. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can't play that way. And so for me, I was like, my my mental coach looked at me He's like, why are you getting obsessed about results on the driving range? You're literally there just to get loose. Mm -hmm. Now, it's nice to see maybe patterns in your ball flight. It's like, okay, like, I'm, you know, I'm overcooking the ball a little bit today okay, well, let's just try to hold off the face a little bit. If there's going to be any mechanical movement, it's very minor um, because you can't change your swing 35 minutes before the round, it's impossible. Um, so I hope that kind of answers the question, but I definitely think that people get way too mechanical based and they get way too um, results based right before they're supposed to tee off. Mm-hmm. So that, go ahead, go ahead. Only, I would say only be focused on the results when you're out there playing for score, that's what I would say. I follow
1: because, like, I know you said it the most interesting that you said is that you can't, you simply can't play when you're changing your mechanics, and not necessarily that you can't play, but you can't play well. And that's something that I do. You know, uh, you know, as a as a like low double digit handicap, high single digit handicap. That's something that I do on a range all the time. Is I'll focus on okay, maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to have my elbow in this position. Maybe I need to um like feel this or something like that and I'll focus on like two to three swing thoughts at a time but for you you said it's, it's just it's just one and then you if you have to make an adjustment it's just like a club face adjustment that's super super minor and I th- I think that's really telling and I think that would lead that's that's something that, that, that our listeners can take away and be like okay this is something that I could use in my approach to golf where I can go out and shoot better scores instead of changing things on the fly or something like that you know
2: yeah, absolutely. And the way that I've always looked at it, and one like John Weir, my mental coach, he always told me he's make it one plus one equals two. So one plus one always equals two. And what we mean by that is I always say to myself, so my swing thought personally, any shot is keep my eyes on the back of the ball. That's all it is. And so I always say to myself, before I walk in, I know when I keep my eyes on the back of the ball, I hit tight draws. That's literally all I said. Mm-hmm. And for, because then you make it, I know when I do this, I always, that's like fact. Mm-hmm. You're basically tricking your mind into saying mm-hmm. this is how we do
1: this, basically. Yeah. It's like a law of attraction mind trick thing. I lo- I really do love that. I really, really do. And that's so, that's that's so beyond insightful too. And like, I mean, I'm gonna steal that from you 100. percent Don't think I'm not gonna steal that from you. Oh, <laughs> go for
0: it. <laughs> oh, 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 believe me. Don't get it wrong. Everything that 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 we're speaking about here, I'm going to end up bringing on the golf course. But so a couple other things that I that I am dying to know as a um, as someone who's an amateur uh, potentially going pro, there's a lot of things that golfers tend to do wrong on the course, whether it be uh, some guys have just a slew of different clubs. They they don't stick to one brand that has same sort of shaft, same sort of style, uh, club head, and so on. Some guys tend to use whatever balls they could find. Uh, m- maybe go to Dick's Sporting Goods, but buy the ten dollar bunch of balls that you're full of. Top flights, old Callaways, Tommy Armors, whatever the fuck you can get. Uh, <laughs> but what's the one thing that you find that golfers always do wrong? That if only you could be like, hey, like, you really shouldn't be doing this. And, like, like you see him doing it on the range or on the course. And you, you, you wish you could just tell him this. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> I know you're thinking of probably, like, five things That's right so now.
0: Hard question. <laughs> there are so oh. many things. I, I know it because I, even I see it. Like, I'm like, we were at, a, we were at Timber Point And I was like, there, there are guys. I, I saw two guys uh, uh, the whole before us. One of them was shooting a Callaway. Dropped another ball and shot a Titleist, but they're two very different balls. So it's like that. That that to me is the one thing. But I want to hear your take here.
2: All right. So I'm not sure if you guys. I'm very like I'm. I've I've been very invested since I was in high school when I met Sean my, my mental coach, in like the mental side of the game. And so the big thing that I've noticed, and I'm I'm gonna be boring to give you like it's the it's like the mental approach.
3: Yeah.
2: Um. And so the big thing with me is. I have a process that I go through before each shot and I, we have a saying where it's situation changes, but the process stays the same for a lot of people. The situation changes, but the processes also change. Mm -hmm. You can't be successful consistently if you, if that's your approach. So that, so a lot of it comes down to breathing. Breathing is part of your process. So many amateur golfers, they don't breathe before they hit the ball like you like how do you expect like when i go to beth like when i was at the hebron and i got up on 18 i had a two-shot lead and there's bunkers everywhere and there's a 30 mile an hour wind in my face <laughs> i'm like ben you better breathe like <laughs> like you better breathe like because if you don't it's going to be really so, hard to control your ball
1: is that is that part of focusing on something that's like really not golf related but is essential to like you know slowing down your heart rate you know keeping you calm is that like the way you take your mind off of like how there's like a 30 mile an hour in your face and all these bunkers even though you obviously have to take that into account when you when you hit the shot um is that your way of kind of like psyching yourself out and like controlling something that you can control absolutely
2: absolutely because it takes By breathing, I almost call it like a mini meditation. So I'll close my eyes, my eyes, I'll breathe. And I never see amateurs do this. I I close my eyes, I breathe in, breathe out, step over the ball, put one foot in, step up, look at the pin, breathe in, breathe out, and then I'll hit. And the breath and like that mini meditation, it allows me to take all the BS that's going on around me and just focus on my start line, my finish line, and like what shot I'm gonna hit basically. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It takes all like the uh, extra stuff around you out of play.
1: That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. That's a tremendous insight right there, Ben. And I think that seems to be a major, major theme in everything we talked about. Is kind of like from from a really small scale of like when you're on the course, like hitting a single shot, to like just in general, like drowning out the noise and drowning out the haters. Could you could you speak to how important? that was in like your, your career and your process to getting where you are today. Cause like, it really does seem like a major theme that has come up multiple times, in, like the last 20, 30 minutes.
2: So like, just like kind of, so you're saying like how I kind of like ignore people and like, what yeah, happening? kind of
1: just like drowning out anything that's not helpful to you in a sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um It's, there's, it's competition. Like that's like golf is a competition. And so I don't do this, but I I've with a lot of people that they will do anything and everything to get in your head, like and it's so petty, but that like that's how it is. Like it's like the classic. Uh, do you hey? Do you inhale or exhale on your backswing? Mm-hmm. Like think about like, and then you're standing over the ball. Like what are you thinking about? Do I inhale or exhale? Like so, it's like you need to be able to block every like just block anything out that's going on. And my mom will watch me and like, especially growing up. And she's like, didn't you notice like this kid was like, you know, fixing his clubs and everything with his bag. Like, and I was just like, no, I was like, no, (laughs) but she would. Yeah. Well, how don't you notice that? I was like, mom, I just like, you just, because I get so focused on my routine and my process and that's what I rely on. I'm able just to block all of it out. Mm -hmm. And like, and you also have to understand, like, people don't want to, like, it's sad, but people don't want to see you be successful, right? And so they don't want you, you to be successful because they weren't successful at what you're trying to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, like a little bit, like a little story, if we, if you don't mind. So, hundred uh, percent. like a month ago, I was at, I was at Long Island National and not many people know this. I only told my family and a couple friends. A caddy walk, walked up to me who I hadn't seen in a while because of the pandemic. Caddying was, at least at Long Island Nationals, pretty much shot last year because of the COVID. And so he goes, uh, you know, what's your plan after college? Because I have one semester left. And I said, oh, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to go back to Florida and turn pro. And he looked at me and he goes, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm like, what? And so he goes, you know, he goes, you know, dude. I know a lot of guys that are really good and like, you're a pretty good player, but you know, you're not as good as those guys and those guys aren't even making any money. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm just, I look, I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, I could maybe help you out a little bit, but you know, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. I'm like, okay. Okay. And so I take my water. I'm walking back to my car. He's following me back to my car. And I'm like, he's like still trying to talk to me and this person will go nameless. But I said to him, I was like, get out of my way. And I went and practiced. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to practice. I was like, screw this guy. Like, who the hell is this guy? Well, I didn't, I chose to not make it about him. I continued to make it about myself. Mm-hmm. Remember I said, I play for myself. If I, because I told one of my buddies and he said, you know, use that as motivation, you know, prove him wrong. I'm not practicing and playing to prove people wrong. I'm practicing and playing for myself. Mm -hmm. And I am a hypocrite if I decided to try to prove him wrong by my results. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Because I know if I do the results, if I do the work that I need to do, the results will come. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, I won the Hebron. (laughs) And my buddy told him that I won the Hebron. That's
1: amazing, dude. That really is amazing.
2: Did you ever? Did you ever get to interact with him after that? Oh, I did. I did. Oh, yeah. how'd that go? Oh, he's like, congratulations. I said, thanks. <laughs> like, anyway, he's 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 like, you know, before you tell me to, you know, f off and everything, I was like, thanks, dude, appreciate it. Like that's it. You know, yeah, thanks. I guess he nope. he he knew
1: he was he was like stepping out of line a little bit. But I mean, at the end of the day, like like not to sound like malicious or anything, but you've probably been like getting told no, like your like majority of your your career, you know what I mean? I bet there, there are people in high school, there are people um before you were Xavier who told you, you can't do this, you can't do X, Y, and Z, you know, so honestly, he's just a speed bump in the road at this point, right?
2: Exactly, man. Like, I always tell people, like, people told me I wasn't going to play high school golf, and people told me I wasn't going to play good enough to play in college, and people told me I wasn't good enough to play divisional golf, and people told me it wasn't going to be good enough to transfer, you know, like then people are telling me, like, you're not good enough to turn pro. It's just like, well, I mean, I've proven, you know, I've proven to myself that I can do this. Like, <laughs> I can do this next step.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like,
2: <laughs> Let's be real. Like, come on.
0: <laughs> so not to shift away from this topic, because we see it a lot with a lot of guys, um, especially in the program. I'm not sure if you've been following. I'm assuming as a uh, as a pro golfer, you're watching uh, the professionals play too. But like Bryson DeChambeau, for example clearly is way into deep in his own head because he has Brooks Koepka building hotels in his head over a, over an eye roll. And forbid Mitchell <laughs> Nicholson bends an eight iron and he fires his caddy. So <laughs> if it, it's a situation like that, do you find that there's a lot of pros who, even Jordan Spieth said it, um, we actually mentioned it on an earlier podcast, that after he had won the Valero, he said, like, I've been so in my head for the last two years and it's, fr- and it's screwed up my game. And he didn't win for two years until uh, th- that point. Do you find that more uh, pros are falling under those kind of spells or is it even happening in, uh, in the college game?
2: It happens everywhere. It, it, it's it, cause it golf, it golf, you, you have to remember golf is so hard mm-hmm. and cause you have so much time to think out there to yourself. And you're also, because it's such a social sport, this is one of the reasons I don't interact, try not to interact too much with people is because people always try to give you advice <laughs> when they're really not qualified in giving you advice. Oh yeah. So and so that's that's why I just like try to shut people out. But yeah, like that use that happens all the time. And it's really like in golf, you have to like defeat your demons basically. I've seen it in college, I've seen it in high school, and I've seen it with professionals. Like you see, like guys go through the yips. Mm-hmm. Like I had a teammate at Xavier who had the putting yips, <laughs> like and it was. It was all in his head, and you just you got to figure out how to. You just got to figure out how to fix it. That's what it comes down to. But yeah, it that happens all the time. And just because you're the best player in the world doesn't mean you're immune to it. It happens to everybody.
0: So jumping back into your uh, your own personal game, we've, we've walked we've walked through the routine. We talked through uh, what your advice is and what you um, hate in what some guys do, but I want to talk to you about your golf clubs because John mentioned something interesting. (laughs) What, what, what clubs specifically do you use? Oh,
2: like the, the brand.
0: Well, yeah, like golf club, uh, brand slash the actual club itself.
2: Okay. So I use, um, Titleist Foki wedges, uh, the SM eights. Um, so I have the 60, 56 bent to the 55 and then a 50 degree wedge. Then I go to my Mizuno irons, which right now I still have the 919s. They're like the muscle back kind of look. Brooks kept uh, used to use those. Um, So I actually have a new set coming in. I think that the 921s are like the new, they're like basically the new version that's coming in. But Mizuno irons, uh, 9 through 4, pitching wedge through 4 iron. Um, Project X 6.5 shaft. I have a two-iron, which is Mizuno, but it's a little bit of – it's a different uh, – it's not, like, exactly like my other irons. Uh, and then I have a TaylorMade M5 3-wood, and I still play the M3 TaylorMade driver. So. All right.
0: So, I got I to ask with these Mizuno irons, because I saw Justin Rose use them uh, at the open, and Mizuno isn't really a, uh, a household uh, golfing brand name. Uh, whatever I think of Mizuno, I think of baseball. How have those stacked up against every other kind of iron that you've used? Because personally, me and John are Titleist guys, and I feel like Titleist, I've used Callaways a couple of times, TaylorMage are good, but Mizuno, I've only ever heard good things from their wedges. I, I want to hear how well they actually perform on the course for you. Dude, when I first got them,
2: uh, so I used, I, used, I used Titleist, Nike, when Nike was still making clubs, PXG. Mizuno is by far the best iron I've ever hit. Uh, you take it out of the box and you first get them. I kid you not, like just like the sleek look of like the head. It looks like a samurai sword. It's actually pretty, it's <laughs> pretty sick. Um, That's sick. Wow. They're just, they're so, they're super soft. And I love the sound that they make. So they, they look great. They feel great. Um, I remember the first event that I put them in, it was the USAM qualifier. And it was 36 holes in one day. And I hit 29 out of 36 greens. Oh wow! And I had only had them for like a week. So That's insane. I was—I mean, I was in love with them right away. And I want, as long as I'm playing, like I would love to play Mizuno for the rest for the rest of my life. They're, I, in my opinion, they're the best irons out there.
0: I find it incredible because usually you talk about the uh, the staple golf brands, and and I heard a couple of guys talk about Mizuno wedges and Cleveland wedges as good. And again. Cleveland isn't really the kind of uh, brand that has these elite-level irons or drivers or or whatever it is. You're always looking at the TaylorMades, the Titleists, the Callaways, the uh, Cobra has now gotten up there. Would you argue that – well, well, actually, better question, because you have Mizuno uh, irons but uh, Titleist wedges. Is there a chance that you're going to switch over to Mizuno wedges as well? If they pay me, but (laughs) (laughs) – I think that's uh, a fantastic answer.
2: <laughs> no, like, um, I've always, I've used Titleist wedges since, like, before I even got Mizuno irons. What? And it's just always been, like, a comfort thing for me. Um, if I'm sure if I had to if I had to play Mizuno wedges, I could play Mizuno wedges. Like, oh, yeah. I, like, these club-making companies, their stuff is all so good. And if you're properly fitted, you can hit just about anything. So, um, but, there's a chance that maybe one day I'll play Mizuno wedges. I don't know. Luke Donald used to play Mizuno wedges. I'm not sure what he plays now, but maybe he still does. I don't know, but yeah.
0: I actually just noticed I was going through your uh, your Instagram. Sorry to stalk you, but uh, I saw that you, that. I'm dead. All right, hold on. I'm not, I'm not trying to be trying to be weird here. So we're, we have to take a, a short break, quick. But before we get there, uh, for our, our final segment, I gotta ask you this: uh, You were because you you now graduated college, correct? What's that? Could you say it again? You've now graduated, correct? I have not. I still have one semester left. All okay, right. So you're one semester away. And I see in your bio that you're a Barstool athlete. Take me uh, through yeah. that with the new NIL laws and everything kind of kind of coming into play. What was the process like? Because uh, personally, I'm not necessarily a Barstool guy, but the way they came out and immediately started, g- started garnering all this attention is incredible to me. So what was the process? How did you become uh, a Barstool athlete?
2: it was it was it was really simple like so i remember uh hey dave el prez he came out with like a whole instagram video and he said we're gonna call it barcel athletes and they set up their own instagram account um and on their like prof like on their instagram profile i i'm, I'm sure they still have it it was a um like a google docs kind of link mm-hmm. and so I just clicked on it. I put my information in there, my Instagram and Twitter, even though I don't tweet. And then, um, I got an email two days later and I was a Barstool athlete.
0: So are there any uh, perks associated to the, uh, to the gig? We get some free stuff. That's about it though. <laughs> I think so. Which is fine. Right. Hey, if I get stuff that's free, it's good for me, man. So well, so, well I, I also noticed that you're one of the few, uh, Barstool athlete golfers, obviously golfing being a, uh, to the niche sport you you're usually saying seeing of course big four sports baseball football um hockey sometimes even though hockey is also sort of a niche sport in college uh, athletics but what's it like being one of the players but like four or five golfers on the uh on the brand
2: well okay there's definitely more than four or five just so you know but
0: uh... i only saw five on their instagram so i could be
2: wrong but it's they, there's like a limit to how many times you can post in a day on Instagram. And that's why, like, I'm pretty sure if you apply, everybody gets it, but um, it's fun. I mean, like to, that's just, I think for a long time, college athletes, uh, they weren't really um, valued at the way that they should be. And golf, I always tell people golf is a money spender. It's not a money maker when you're in college, like for the school. But you, you see these Xavier's were a big basketball school, right? So we have these great basketball players and then they're not getting paid anything, but the school and NCAA is making money off of their name, off the name on the back of their Jersey. And so I always thought it was pretty hypocritical. Like you should be able to make money off of your name because you play a sport, even if you're an amateur athlete, you know, no matter what you need to do. And so I think it's great that, we're finally able to get more exposure because you're a college athlete and at, at a division one level, like I think you deserve to be celebrated because it's not easy. It's hard. So you deserve to be celebrated, I think. So it's
0: great to see. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a really quick break, but once we come back, we have a little bit of a speed round. We're going to stray away a little bit from golf and talk more, uh, life itself. we got a fun few questions in our final segment here with Ben, Ben Piero. Here on the Get in the Hole podcast, exclusive interview, former Presbyterian and Xavier player, despite him not really wanting to be called a Presbyterian player. We'll be right back.
4: The Get in the Hole podcast is sponsored by Tomahawk Shades, the best eyewear in the game. Tomahawk Shades is making sure that when you tee off on hole number one, your eyes are well protected from the sun as soon as you hit hole 18. Tomahawk Shades, founded by two brothers on Long Island, to make sure that you're getting a quality product for an affordable price and not spending an entire two weeks' paycheck on one pair of sunglasses and you're looking, styling, and profiling on the golf course. And say you're at home watching the PGA Tour, they got the Blue Light Plus glasses to protect your eyes from those violent blue lights that come from your TV. Go to TomahawkShades.com right now, fill up your cart for the golf season, get the sunglasses, the Blue Light Plus glasses, and and anything else you need while you're out on the course, so that you look the best and you can live up to the look good, feel good, play good moniker that we live by here in the underground. And when you go to check out, use our code USP for 25% off your order at Tomahawkshades.com, and all orders qualify for free domestic shipping. That's Tomahawkshades.com, promo code USP for 25% off your order and all. All orders qualify for free domestic shipping. Big thank you to Tomahawk Shades for sponsoring the Get in the Hole podcast. The Get in the Hole podcast is also sponsored by our friends at Stateside Urban Craft Vodka. That's right. Stateside Vodka is the official vodka of the Get in the Hole podcast. Guys, they're headquartered in old Kensington, Philadelphia. They're right in our backyard. They are seven times distilled, certified gluten-free. And get this. Stateside Vodka is blended with electrolytes, making it the first vodka on the market blended with electrolytes on the same mineral composition found in that sports drink that starts with a G, and it's the first actively hydrating vodka on the market. They've also won awards for best packaging in the world. Who doesn't love a winner? And as you guys are listening to this, Stateside Vodka has got you ready for the summer. They just released... The vodka sodas in the cans. They are in the vodka soda game. Stateside Vodka is taking things to the next level with their vodka soda variety pack. It's easily the drink of the summer. So go to statesidevodka.com right now. Get the vodka sodas. Get your vodka. They even have the bourbon in stock. And when they do, you don't want to miss out on that. It is very limited. So get your hands on everything that Stateside has to offer. And when you go to checkout, make sure you have those one liter bottles in your cart so you can help us out pay some bills use our code usp to get 10 off the one liter bottles of vodka at statesidevodka.com must be 21 or older to purchase and of course guys as always please drink responsibly
0: welcome back to the getting the whole podcast steven steven mcavoy wow i literally almost forgot my name domavelia and ben piero Former uh, current, actually, Xavier Musketeer, one semester left of college to go for possibly turning pro. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But first, a bit of a stray away from golf to a degree, a bit of a speed round here. Uh, I want to go through nine or 10 questions John and I have formulated uh, and really simple stuff. But to, we want you to kind of sort of give us the first thing, the thing that pops in your head, uh, let, get to know you more as the personal guy. Because who knows in 20 years when someone uncovers this and you've already won seven majors. Uh, someone's gonna want to watch this. So, oh god, okay. So we're gonna start with a couple of golf things. Really simple. Would you rather be in the rough or in the bunker? The rough. Why is that?
2: Honestly, I'm. Not, if you looked at my driving, if my driving stats, like if anybody knew my driving stats, I don't hit that many fairways. So uh, I'm totally fine with hitting it out of the rough for sure. Especially because. I, I'm a lot stronger than most people, so I can get out of the rough more effectively than other people. So all right. John, I don't have well a disadvantage, said. I guess.
0: Very John, well said. Tom, we'll go uh, back and forth uh, on this. Oh, long long, so.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, so, Ben, the question that I think this is the question that I've been wanting to ask you the most this whole time, despite all the good content that we just had. Um, I want to describe like, what defines your golf game? Is it are you long off the tee? Is it your short game? Are you like a strategy guy? Um, like, what 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 is your brand of golf? Is it ball striking? What is? It?
2: Um, as far as the physical side, I definitely say it's my length off the tee for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, over since I've gotten to school, since my senior, since my junior year of college, since junior junior year of high school to now, I've picked up. I've gone from ninety six miles mile an hour club head speed to one twenty, and oh, so. Geez. Length is like a big part of my game, and me mm-hmm. to heat at bigger, harder golf courses, that it gives me an advantage over someone that hits it shorter. To be honest, so. 100. And then, as you know, the you know, some that's not physical. Definitely, my my mental game, like my mental game, I think is like the strongest. That's like my greatest strength. I I, yeah. I believe so.
0: I t- Love t- it. What's your go-to shot? Uh, obviously, it's situational, but the draw or the fade. What are you most comfortable with? Oh, a draw. I just get up there and I just rip it. So yeah. <laughs> Love
1: it. Now if you did, if you did have to play a fade, you're comfortable with that though, right?
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, my teammates give me so much shit because I don't really hit a fade. Um if if I can hit like a big like a big fade, you know, like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I aim left, I open my stance, I open the face, open my shoulders, and I hit yeah. a fade. But I prefer to hit the draw.
1: Prefer the draw. And now just a a follow up on that. Did you feel like only playing a fade or only playing a draw takes away from maybe um, if you were to play a certain course that favors one or the other? Do you feel, do you have you ever felt held back by
2: that? Uh, No, not really. Uh, Like, so Zach Johnson was with my coach. I'm I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of Zach. So Zach, Zach only has three shots. He has his stock shot, Uh, a low shot and a hold he doesn't hit a fade he hits a hold so he hits a push when he tries to hit the ball right Mm -hmm. so like there's just there's like this misconception that you have to have nine shots Mm -hmm. nine shots you know you can maybe some courses do favor faders and some other courses fade guys that draw the ball but it gets to the point where like you get to the point where if you're good enough to compete you should be able
0: good enough to compete anywhere so What's the What's the one golfer you model your game most after, or or is your biggest uh, inspiration in the game?
2: Um, my biggest inspiration, uh, probably, I'll be a homer here. Probably Zach Johnson. Not just because he works with my coach, but he was. I mean, he was not a very good. He was not that great of a college golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, super short off the tee. Um, but he's like he's the toughest guy you'll ever meet he's the most positive guy you'll ever meet like i remember i was talking to bender about it and he said zach texted me i think he shot like 83 at capolula in his first round of the year one year and he's like i'm really close like all he's saying is like really close i'm really close and then like nine months later he won the bmw which is a, which at the time was a, a was a playoff event mm-hmm. so just like his his grit, determination, and his positivity, and just how he's so consistent, the guy is below average in driving distance, and he's literally in my he's won two majors, and he's won like eleven PJ Tour events. Like he's he's incredible. He's like he defies everything you think you need to do. So
1: it's nice. it's nice. It's nice. It's nice to hear you pay homage to a guy like that. Hundred percent. I my question here is. Probably like the second, this is my second favorite question that I was going to ask you. So what's the f- your favorite course that you've been able to play, either casually, competitively, or if you have like a top three or however, however far you want to go with that list?
2: Okay, yeah. So definitely Bethpage Black. Um, mm-hmm. Not just because I've won there, but I think it's a type of course where you, if you win a tournament there, you're the best player in the field that week because it tests every part of your game. The fairways are narrow. T shots are generally downhill, which makes the fairways play even more narrow. You're hitting at mm-hmm. an angle to the fairway, so it actually also shrinks the fairway. The rough is thick. Bunkers are deep. If you're a good putter, you're going to make putts because the greens aren't that difficult. But it's just an all-around good test, and it's the type of course where the best player always wins. So you can't fake it around there. Um, a number two would be Shinnecock. Um it's number two because when I played it, it was right after the U.S. Open, and the fescue was all cut down. So I Oh, I see. I couldn't get, like, the teeth of it. Um, gosh, and then a third. Um, Are we going to go three for three New York courses, or is he going to spice it up? I would – honestly, it was a college tournament, probably Sapphire Valley. I think it was Western Carolina's tournament. Uh, I think it was Western Carolina. We were up in the mountains in North Carolina – and it was just, it was cold, but it was so perfect. I have pictures of it on my phone. It's like incredible. i missed that place. That place was awesome. Software what's the, Valley? Very interesting. What's the one course you've never played that you want to? I mean Augusta, but oh, uh, okay. yeah, Augusta. Um, if we're excluding Augusta, probably, probably Pebble or Spyglass Hill. One of those like Pebble Beach courses. Okay.
1: Very nice and what who's your like i know we already talked about like um who's your like main guy like zach johnson's like your guy but is there anyone when you while you were growing up when you were a little kid kind of like inspired you to um want to play golf obviously tiger woods is probably going to be the popular answer among most people if he is that who is your guy outside of that, that was kind of like your golf idol growing up oh
2: man my golf idol. yeah it was tiger for sure growing mm-hmm. up um that's hard because I just, I got into golf for like selfish reasons just because mm-hmm. like having it all on myself. Um, oh, that's tough. You know what? Probably, probably Jack Nicholas. I got to meet Jack mm-hmm. twice in high school. Really? Play, and that was one of, the, one of my favorite experiences ever. Um, we're actually very similar personality. And it was really interesting to hear how We talked about prep tournament preparation and practicing and you know playing and stuff, it was very, very interesting to hear what he had to say about it. He's an all timer, I mean, he's oh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's incredible. So, all
0: right, so str- straying away from golf, a c- couple questions here uh, three people dead or alive to have dinner with.
2: Oh, god, oh boy, uh, <laughs> Jesus, um, LeBron James, um. This is going to be a weird second one. You will to assess for this. I love baseball. Oh. And he, was so, he was so good for the Mets, at, like, for a couple of years. He was awesome. Steve, uh, I forgot
1: to mention that he's a Mets fan. Steve is also a Mets fan.
0: And yeah. our life sucks, dude. Dude. <laughs> I, I love being a Mets fan, but, my God, they fucking suck. Dude, they're
2: brutal, it's man. so
0: bad. I get, uh, I go through cardiac arrest every time I watch <laughs> <play. laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it. Right, so, so
0: LeBron, Joanna,
1: Cespedes. This is yeah, this, serious this serious is a, this planet. is a fine threesome we got going on this so is far.
3: An
2: interesting group. Who's going to round it out? Cespedes and um, oh god, um, why is this so difficult? <sighs> Probably Kevin Hart because he can make anybody laugh. So. Would they also be in your uh, your dream foursome? God, no! I can't. (laughs) I've seen LeBron swing a golf club in a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, my dream foursome uh, would be Ben Hogan, Mike Bender, my coach, and John Weir, my mental coach. Okay, so.
1: I like it, and I know we already really alluded to this a little bit. Um, we talked about like giving golf tips for beginners and stuff like that. Um, we mostly talked about the mental side of it. Is there any technical or mechanical tips that you can give to either beginner golfers or golfers who maybe struggling with like an over the top slide, something like that, or any like any like three to five things tips that you want to give to high handicap golfers?
2: Yeah, I would say the big thing, and this applies to any, whatever level you are, always focus on your fundamentals when 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 your swing and your game starts going south always go back to your fundamentals um because that's the easiest thing to control because you're basically like you're basically stationary you're not really moving when you're setting up when you're at address. Mm -hmm. um yeah i would focus really just on the fundamentals because that's where a lot of the issues for people start in their golf swing is how they Mm -hmm. set up the ball if you Mm -hmm. set up with with a crappy setup, you're not going to hit a good shot. Like, I hate to break it to you. So Mm -hmm. I would say always focus on your setup and understand, like, your checkpoints and stuff when you're looking at your
0: mechanics. All right, right. so, Ben, you're going to sail around the world, right, for the rest of your life. Let's say you're on a boat, and you're going to sail around forever and visit different countries. What's the name of your boat? Oh, God. Uh... These are the questions people want to hear. It's one thing to talk golf, but – This is a real you here.
2: I don't know, man. Uh, (laughs) Probably (laughs) I'll call it The Office. Big
0: Tuna. Big
2: Tuna. (laughs) Big
0: Tuna. That guy. Very nice. If you you could add anybody to Mount Rushmore, who would it be? (laughs) Um.
2: Jesus. who's <laughs> like, like a great person like i'm trying to think of like, a great great individual <laughs> i, I would have just
1: said like a meme answer i would have just said like i don't know nick robinson or something like that. Uh, <laughs> was, yeah.
3: so I don't know. but um what <laughs> chris
0: paul up there because i love chris paul and i wanted to <laughs> sing all right but final question before we uh sort of wrap up here we have one final one after this but your go-to golf outfit when you're going to go in golf, what's, like, the fit? What are the colors? What's the brands? What are you wearing? Don't think
1: for one second that Steve isn't going to copy this, so be careful what you say.
0: Oh, hey, hey, hey. I, I'm a big polo and Under Armour guy, so that's what I stick with.
3: Okay, so uh, I'm a Zayden guy, so I'll go with, obviously, white golf shoes because that's what we wear, white Nike shoes. I'll go with um, navy shorts so always they have to i'm really into fashion so they have to be above the knee i can't be long white belt and then i'll wear our carolina blue xavier shirt it's it's nice and fitted too which is good so uh, you know i i like to have fitted shirts
2: (laughs) and then just like because that's that, that that's a striped shirt then i'll do um my what is it? i'm blanking on the brand name but it's basically like a, you know a hat but it has blue sh- blue and gray stripes along along the uh top
1: i know what you're talking about I'll, real quick before we get to the big question that steve has you said you referenced the fitted shirts and i noticed when i when we spoke like 3 weeks ago you had put on i mean it's got to be like 20 25 pounds. so like take Whoa. take us through really quickly of muscle, of muscle, Steve. Relax, relax. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, so take take us through kind of like um, when that process started. Um, obviously, it's kind of like uh, cheap to say like did Bryson DeChambeau inspire? But like when when did it did you start kind of getting into like the weightlifting and realizing that the length was super important?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, when I was in high school, I was 165 pounds, and I haven't grown at all. I was. Five, I was 5'11 and a half, like I am now, and 165 pounds. And so I just I took weightlifting my senior year because I needed one more class as a joke. And so like, I learned a lot. But when I sprained my ACL my freshman year and I missed like two and a half months, I was like, okay, like I need to actually take this a little bit more seriously. And so over time, I, I got into weightlifting, and it's almost like a second, it's almost kind of like a second passion, second to golf. Yeah. And I just, I learned a lot from honestly the strength coach at Presbyterian, the strength coach at Xavier, uh, my strength coach, my strength coaches in high school. Um, YouTube is actually a really great resource, uh, if you know what you're looking at. And so, yeah, I just really got into it. I work out every day. Like I rarely skip a day and I just, it just, once I started to see the results and I felt better on the course, I wasn't getting tired and I always like jokingly tell people like I might not be the best at every tournament. Cause in golf, you lose more than you win. But if I'm the biggest at the tournament, I feel like that's like, a, that's, that's a win for me. So. <laughs> that's a quote. That is a quote.
0: Right? <laughs> spoken, spoken truly like Bryson DeChambeau. I might not be the best one on the course and I might hit it 87 yards in, into Narnia from the tee, but I'm going to look the best doing it. So <laughs> So Ben, you alluded to this final question here. Uh, one semester, one semester left in college, you're going to graduate. You're going to go on. You mentioned wanting to go pro. What's the process going to be? Uh, what's the goals? How does the, uh, the, the path to the PGA tour work for you now?
2: Yeah. So I'm going to graduate, get my degree in finance in December. Uh, from there I'll be li- I'll move, moving back to Florida where I went to high school in Lake Mary. So uh, I'll be living with my trainer um, we're really tight with we've, we've always been really close. And so I'll uh, be playing mini tour events down there, working with Mike Bender at, at practicing his facility, playing at, you know, I have a course set up down there for me um, and then get ready for a Canadian tour Q school, uh, just depending on what site I get anywhere from March to May. Um, plans to get on the Canadian tour and finish in the top five of the money list. So I can get on the corn, uh, so I can get on the corn ferry tour. So, you know, there's definitely, it's not definitely, it's not, nothing about my golf career has been smooth. There's always peaks and valleys and everything, but just going to go balls to the wall and just, I'm going to do whatever I can just to, just to get there. So
0: then, uh, from the corn Fairy tour, I believe it's like three wins or a certain placement. And the next thing you know, you'll be teeing it up with, uh, with DJ.
3: Yeah. So three wins, you get an automatic promotion or uh, top 25 on the money list by the end of the year. So one of those two things. Well, then
0: we're certainly going uh, to be in your corner here, and hopefully, oh yeah, we're going to be rooting for you big time, bro, big Thank time. Say, uh, well, once you're back in New York, I'm not sure if you're uh, you're back here now, but uh, if you ever want to get around in, you can kick my ass any day, any day of the week. You let me know. You'll have to
1: you'll have to give him. You did you said you give out fifteen strokes. You might have to give him fifteen strokes aside. This guy. <laughs> All
0: right, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I'm a, I'm like a 12, 13 handicap, so I'm not horrible. I'm bad, but <laughs> certainly but I'm certainly not terrible. All right. Yeah, I'll
3: I'll give I'll give you twelve shots, 12, 12 13 shots if you need it. Yeah, whatever right, you
1: want. That's, 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 that's funny.
3: And if you need a caddy that you that you can
0: ignore and literally never talk to, you, I'm sure me and Steve will be available. Well, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more than down. Hey, I'm always told that even though I can't execute uh really good chip shots, I can read a green and and I can read it uh from the rough very well. So you ever need it? Need anybody to? He's not gonna want you to say a
1: single word to him the whole time. You just have to shut up. You're
0: right, <laughs> i probably wouldn't, but <laughs> all right, well, folks, that's, that's gonna do it all for us here at the Getting the Whole Podcast. Yeah. Ben Piro, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been absolutely incredible. Probably a little over an hour that we've been uh, going at this, it was an absolute ball, Ben. Thank you again. And for those of you who have not been following us on Twitter, where you've been, uh, at Getting the Whole Pod, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, shout out to our sponsors over at Tomahawk Shades, Stateside vodka, Kenwood Beer. Hopefully we can get Ben uh some vodka and some Kenny's in assistance eventually <laughs> soon. For Steven Merrick, John Mavalia,
2: take it easy, folks. And Ben Piro, uh plug your plug your social in real quick. Oh yeah, please. Yes, give you us everything. Out. Yeah, so uh, my Instagram is uh, at BC So it's b c p i r r o. So I I love to get more followers so. <laughs> uh, i think my content's pretty good too so
1: <laughs> yeah, we have two quotes the the being the biggest guy in the course and i love to get more followers <laughs>
0: <laughs> and apparently ben doesn't tweet either so so i going. not i don't, no, I don't. <laughs> all right folks that, that's gonna do it do it all for us for steven mcavoy don and ben piero see you next time guys thank you for listening to the get in the hole podcast a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get in the Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Shout out to our sponsors over at Tomahawk Shades and stateside vodka for all their support in making underground sports your go-to place for all things sports. The Get in the Whole Podcast, hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia, releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows see you next time